Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of On Air with Aaron. The past two weeks have actually been pretty fun with the episodes, I won't lie. Uh, reviewing really terrible anime is, uh, is one, fun to talk about, and two, really good for watching good anime because it makes you appreciate it all that much more. Even if it's just a simple, like, 7 out of 10 anime, it feels leagues better after you've watched the, uh, the bad stuff that I have the past two weeks. But this week, we are going to take a little bit of a break, divert from the path of terribleness just a little bit, uh, actually quite a lot, to be fair, and we're going to be talking about something new, which is Star Wars Visions. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you would know that I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan myself. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest, because there's a lot of content that I still haven't consumed, but I'd say the content that I have consumed of it, I I've been a pretty big fan of. And ever since I've gotten into anime, I've really liked that, and of course Star Wars has been there my whole life. So when I heard about Star Wars Visions, which is the first ever Star Wars anime official series, I got excited. A couple people were, actually some people were, were not too happy for this decision. Not like a, oh, I don't think I'm going to watch that, but more of a, how could they do this? This is so stupid, which I, I don't really, I don't really get why they're so mad about that. Um... But I personally think that Star Wars and anime combine very well together, especially for the powers and the uh, the stories that have already been told across the galaxy thus far. I feel that an anime adaptation is very much in the wheelhouse. And Star Wars Visions definitely, definitely delivered. I watched all nine episodes. I watched eight episodes in one day, so I practically finished it in one day. Uh, and then I finished the, the last episode the next day and then watched, I think, two of the other ones again. Um, and I, I heavily, heavily enjoyed it. A little thrown off at first, but as the season progressed, I, I found myself thoroughly enjoying it. So in case you were unaware of exactly what Star Wars Visions is, Visions is basically a sort of creative freedom series done by different anime studios all the way over in Japan, uh, basically just telling non-canon stories across the galaxy with non-canon characters, and basically a Japanese anime interpretation of the Star Wars universe. So in a lot of instances when they have lightsabers, a couple of them have more of a katana design, of course traditional Japanese swords. There are outfits that resemble sort of cultural Japanese outfits, there are symbols, there is decoration, architecture that heavily resembles Japanese culture, which, of course, to be expected, and it feels very unique. It fits in the Star Wars universe, but also feels like it's its own thing, which I really do like, especially with the lightsabers some of the times being legitimate just katanas that glow. They actually have a blade instead of a, a tube like uh, normal lightsabers do. I really liked it. Uh, and each episode is a unique story with unique characters. None of them connect. There are uh, there are two episodes, two sets of two episodes that are done by the same studio, um, but they're not connected at all. In fact, they don't even look the same. So that's a that's a big plus. And 
without going into too much about each episode preemptively, I would just overall say that this series is enjoyable. If you're a fan of anime, I feel that you're going to enjoy this a lot. If you're a fan of Star Wars, it depends how much of a fan of Star Wars. If you really only like the Skywalker saga, then there might be a couple episodes you'll enjoy. Uh, but if you're a fan of anything and everything Star Wars, I think there's something in it for everyone that you'll definitely enjoy. So I will be talking about this series today, but instead of just discussing each episode, what I'm going to be doing is sort of a rant or rave, and also a ranking of every episode. And I'm going to be going worst to best, but when I say worst, I don't mean bad. Like, I think the worst episode from this season, personally, was probably about a 6.7 out of 10 for me. Which is low, but I don't consider that bad. It just kind of felt a little weak to me. And then the other episodes are in between 7 to 10. So, they're all really good. I highly enjoyed it. Uh, so, I'm going to go through each episode uh, in order. And I'm just going to talk about the studio that did it and the other anime that they have done. So, if you particularly liked an episode or hated an episode, then you'll know which other anime to catch up on yourself or avoid entirely. So the first episode is done by Kamikaze Doga, which is the same studio that worked on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure parts 1 through 3, Pop Team Epic, and Ninja Batman. Very, very diverse animes right there. Episode 2 is Tatooine Rhapsody, done by Studio Colorido, which is the same studio who worked on A Whisker Away, Burn the Witch, and Penguin Highway. Episode 3, The Twins, is done by none other than Studio Trigger, which is the same studio behind favorites such as Kill la Kill, Darling in the Franks, Kiz Naiver, which I highly recommend, I think it's pretty underrated, Little Witch Academia, and a lot of others. Episode 4, The Village Bride, is done by Kinema Citrus, who do Rising of the Shield Hero, Made in Abyss, and Black Bullet. Episode 5 is The Ninth Jedi, and this is done by Production IG, who are behind very popular and notable works such as Attack on Titan, Haikyuu, Psychopaths, Vinland Saga, and a lot more. I actually think that Production IG is the biggest studio that they enlisted for this series, with I think Studio Trigger might be the second highest. Episode 6 is T0B1, or Toby. And this is done by Science Saru, who does Devilman Crybaby, Keep Your Hands Off Eizouken, and Japan Sinks 2020, which is a Netflix one. Episode 7, The Elder, is done by Studio Trigger as well. Episode 8, Lop and Ocho, is done by Gino Studio, who do Golden Kamui, Kokoko, and Genocidal Organ. And Episode 9, the last one, Akakiri, done by Science Saru as well. So, Science Saru and Trigger are the two studios who did two episodes each. So, as I had mentioned, these studios have done a, a lot of work. And it's kind of hard to pinpoint, because in some anime, like in Attack on Titan, uh, it, it has a couple different studios and production companies that work on it. Especially one with that caliber. Uh, so, I, I didn't dub that they are the ones responsible solely taking on the work for it. Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but, I mean, Attack on Titan and Q and Vinland Saga, uh, at least from my knowledge, are two 
there are three very highly rated anime. Uh, and actually, Haikyuu is on Netflix, which you probably know. Attack on Titan, somewhat on Netflix. So they do break into the uh, the Western genre, very popular with their streaming services. Uh, and, and they're all very good. So <clears throat> with these nine episodes, of course, there are opinions about all of them. But which opinions are the ones to take fully to heart? Well, personally, I think my list is probably the best. Of course, that's why you're listening, because you know these opinions here are the best ones around. <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, just just a little bit of a uh, of sort of a recap again. Uh, this is ranked worst to best, uh, and this doesn't necessarily mean bad to good. I just think that the episode ranking is the ones that I think either performed the least in my opinion or just didn't work in relation to the other stuff that the episodes in the series otherwise have put forth whether it be uh you know a possibility for extended material characterization story a whole, whole lot of other things uh but like i said I wouldn't say that the 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 worst quote unquote episode on here I didn't enjoy. I definitely did enjoy, but uh, I'll save that for when we get right into it, which is going to be right now. So let's go ahead and rank all nine episodes of Star Wars Visions right here for you. So, starting off the list strong. I don't know if this is a controversial take. Uh, I've seen a couple people say the same, and I've seen a couple other lists that uh, that disagree. But the episode that I'm going to put at the bottom of this list is episode two, which is Tatooine Rhapsody. This one, if you've seen the series, of course, like I said, heavy spoiler warning. So, uh, so tune away if you do not want to listen to my rankings and discussions of each episode with spoilers. Um, but Episode 2, if you've seen it, then you kind of know that, objectively, it's the most unique out of all of the episodes. It <clears throat> doesn't necessarily follow someone realizing their powers as a Jedi or a Sith or uh, anything like that. There's no crazy animated fight like some of the other episodes have. It's a story about an ex-Jedi named Jay during the, uh, I think he's during the Clone Wars-ish era, um, like, but in between episodes one and two. Um, and effectively, Jay is an ex-Jedi, and he joins a band. And he's the singer-guitar player for the band. And th they have an encounter with Boba Fett <clears throat> later on in the episode, and Boba Fett kind of becomes a main character, which, by the way, there's a chibi Boba Fett, a short little cute Boba Fett, and it's adorable, so... Please at least look up Boba Fett from episode two. Um, but this one, I wouldn't say is bad because music has always been an important part of Star Wars, uh, whether it be um, in production through the, the soundtrack and the score or inside the universe with, you know, like the uh, the Cantina Band, the, one of the most iconic songs in film ever. Uh, it's always been a big part. And this music is rock. It's sort of pop punk-ish uh, pop rock which does feel kind of out of place in Star Wars. Not in a bad way, but just based off of what we've seen before. Though, to be fair, with the concert they have at the end, if they would have played the Cantina song, I think it would have been absolutely lame. Maybe if they did a little reference and an electric guitar riff, that would have been cool. But 
I no. The whole point of this was that this band was supposed to play for a loud, big auditorium, and you kind of need to do rock music, heavy hitting music, in order to really satisfy and send home the uh, the powerful theme. Um, but this episode was good. It just it just felt kind of weak. It's not what I was expecting for this series, which I guess is 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 good on the director's part. They they subverted my expectations without killing the big bad randomly. Um. I just think it performed the weakest because the whole thing is, oh, uh, there's a hut that's in their band and Jabba wants him dead because he refused to join Jabba's crime syndicate. So there's a bounty on his head. But Jay and the band convinced Jabba during Gee's the, the hut's execution that, oh, let's play a song. And then they do it. The crowd erupts. And then Jay says, hey, Jabba, sponsor us. We're going to be the biggest band in the galaxy. They play one more songs after being encouraged for an encore and then the episode ends like with the song so it kind of ended weird because it's like we don't know if java did sign them maybe i'm just forgetting what happened in the episode but i mean they play the next song so i'm assuming java did take a liking to them but it just felt kind of kind of odd especially relative to the rest of the series not bad but i think could have been more and easily the lowest one on the list for at least my personal taste the second episode that I'm going to go in this chronological order of worst to best is episode 8, Lop and Ocho. Now, I want to make this clear. Again, I don't think this episode is necessarily bad. I actually personally, in this bottom four sort of category that I'm at right now, I think I enjoyed Lop and Ocho the most out of uh, these bottom four ones. I really liked this one. Uh, the animation was crisp. Uh, I didn't bring it up Oh, wait, no, I, I did bring it up because I did the recap earlier about the which studio did it. Um, but episode eight was really good. And I hadn't seen any Geno Studio works. Uh, I hadn't. I have Golden Kamui in, uh, in, in more like, I think it's Amazon Prime or something. Or maybe it's uh, Verve or Netflix or something. I don't remember. But I have it in, in a watch list. I've just never watched it. I don't know what Kokoko is. And I don't know what Genocidal Organ is. So I've never seen any of their works. But... Lop and Ocho was animated very well. Character designs were great. The atmosphere was great. The storytelling was great also. But I just don't think it ended all that well. Because the whole thing is, oh, uh, Lope. I think it's, I don't think it's Lop. I think it's Lope, L-O-P. Um, Lope is a, a literal bunny girl, and she's adopted into this family, uh, with Ocho being the daughter who's around Lop's age. And they kind of grow up, Lop's, Lop's just like this really good girl, and Ocho is heir to the throne for the their family's sort of clan, uh, and they're in an Empire-run town, and Ocho just kind of starts working with the Empire in a way that it's like working with the enemies so you can keep your friends safe in a way. Like, she's basically doing it to appease the Empire so they don't just take a tirade and just go attack the city. Which I think is admirable, but their fight goes kind of odd because uh, basically the dad is leading this rebellion army sort of thing that Lop joins, and they go to fight Ocho. Lop fights Ocho, and it seems that Lop's going to win or at least defeat her, change her mind or something. And then Ocho just kind of falls, gets on a ship, and then leaves, and the episode ends. So I think it's a really good first episode like if this was the first episode of an actual anime series it would have been beautifully strong uh 
because it would have left you wanting more, but not in a way that's like I was satisfied by the ending, but in a way of I won't be satisfied until I see this progress and conclude. And that's how I felt about La Pinocho is it built everything up beautifully. It had great characters, great dialogue, um, great voice acting. I watched this in English, by the way, uh, so I, I don't care. Come come, burn me at the stake for, for watching something made in Japan in English, but whatever. Um, the voice acting was really good. I liked the characters. I just think that this one was kind of weak for uh, its... its um, for what it was trying to accomplish. Like, I think that uh, Lop should have been able to save Ocho, or they should do more with this idea and make more episodes or a series in the future. But I don't know if they're going to. The reception's, I think, been pretty good for this uh, show already, so they might do a season two, but that's not going to be anytime soon. So next up on the list, we have episode nine, Akakiri. This is an interesting episode. Uh, it, Lopin Ocho and Akakira are kind of similar in why I'm ranking them so low. Uh, I liked the animation. The art style for Akakiri was a little bit weird at first. I wasn't a big fan of it, but as it progressed, I, I, I came to, I came to like it a little bit more. Uh, but, but basically the reason why I am ranking, rake, raking, uh, ranking this one so low is because it falls under the same trap as Lopinocho. They they introduce characters, they introduce setting and all this stuff beautifully, and then they kind of end on a way that makes you want to see more progress, but I feel it has a little bit more of a satisfying conclusion than Lopinocho. Whereas Lop fights Ocho, and then it looks like she wins, and then Ocho gets on a ship, and then she goes away, and that's the episode. Whereas in Akakiri the main character, the Jedi guy, he's been struggling with these headaches throughout the entire episode where it seems that he slays someone uh, in like a killing them sort of way, not in like a girl boss sort of way. Um, he slays someone and it's a woman and she's crying, but he can't make out who it is and he doesn't know what it is. As we find out, it's his friend that he's been traveling with the entire episode when she was taken away by a Sith Lord put in a, like a guard outfit for the Sith Lord and pit up to fight against the Jedi and he slays her, kills her, and that's the vision. It comes full circle. And then his whole thing is he wants to save her, but much like Anakin, the only way to save the people that he loves is to turn to the dark side, which he does. He becomes that Sith's apprentice and, uh, and saves her, but then goes to the Sith ship and flies away and the episode ends. There's also this beautiful lighting where it, the the sort of the the filter is basically red. It looks beautiful, you know, symbolizing that it's one evening and two that he sort of fell to the dark side. But he's very reluctant to do so. However, I feel this one had a better conclusion uh, than what Lop and Ocho did because we kind of saw that arc of oh hey I have this headache what's going on come full circle and we see a fall to the dark side, sort of thing, and I, I liked it. Again. Probably would like to see more, though if we don't get more of Akakiri, I'd be fine. Whereas Lopinocho would be significantly better with a more completed story. So next up, episode four. Or sorry, not episode four. My bad, my bad. Uh, next up, number four, is episode six. This one is T0B1, or Toby. So, uh, a fun fact... Uh, Akakiri and Toby 
are done by the same studio, and they're right next to each other on the list, so I promise that wasn't intentional, it's purely a coincidence. So, T0B1, or Toby, funny enough, they call him, you know, T0B1, but he calls him T-O-B-1, so O-B-1, O-B-1, I thought that was a nice little sneak-in reference, uh, which is something, again, I love about Visions, is their references to the main canon stuff are either a different interpretation or it's a little throwaway thing that has no bearing on the main story whatsoever, like naming a little robot boy Obi-Wan, essentially. So this one is a very cute episode. It's very, very, very lighthearted. It's fun. It, it, it harkens back to sort of older anime and older cartoons where... Uh, just the art style of it you know, with, with the old man who's the, the Jedi and the, the robot boy. And basically this is the story of Pinocchio in the Star Wars universe. Basically this robot boy is created by this Jedi old master guy and the, the robot's dream is, hey, I want to be a real boy and be a Jedi. That's his whole dream. And effectively... The old man Jedi tells him, oh, okay, fine, you can be a Jedi. There's a kyber crystal somewhere on this planet, so go go get the kyber crystal. And it turns out the kyber crystal was inside of him the entire time, so, okay, kind of cute. Uh, but, effectively, the main plot of this episode is that a Sith Inquisitor finds a signal that Toby accidentally sent out through his master's old ship, and he comes and kills the old man. Uh, Toby has the lightsaber that was used, that was built by the Kyber Crystal that was inside of him. He has this lightsaber, and the Sith Inquisitor comes back, and Toby fights him. And he has friend, he has a uh, sort of friends that are the little, uh, the little robots that the old guy had made as well. So it's cute. Uh, they they sort of help out all each other and. This episode, you would think, oh, it's a cute little episode, and he fights the Sith Inquisitor with his buddies. You would expect it would kind of be lame on animation. Uh-uh. This episode's fight animation is, like, surprisingly good. Because I wouldn't say it's the most crazy that this series has gone. By far, it's not. But for what this episode set out to be and the themes that it sort of establishes early on... The animation is is almost too good, <laughs> if that makes sense. The, the fights are very well choreographed, uh, and the, the Sith Inquisitor moves, moves beautifully. Toby moves beautifully. Uh, he outsmarts the Inquisitor, and the way that he takes him out at the end is genius. It's beautiful. I'm not going to go too in-depth because, one, I don't really remember, and, two, it's, it's fun, so go watch it by yourself. It's... Just an enjoyable episode, but I don't think that it solidifies itself as a particularly interesting story, where it kind of builds up that there's gonna be more, but I'm not really interested in seeing more of Toby. You know what I mean? He feels like one of those characters that would be far more interesting as a side character. Sort of like if C-3PO had a Jedi fighting instinct sort of way. He doesn't feel as interesting as... Uh, as a possible main character because his arc's kind of complete. His whole thing is he wants to be a real boy, he wants to be a Jedi, but, like, he kind of already is. He defeated a Sith. He cannot physically become a real boy. 
Unless there was something established in the episode where it's like, oh yeah, if you obtain this thing, then you can become a real boy. That would make for him to be an interesting protagonist. But I just don't think he has enough interest to be a good enough protagonist. Uh, but it concludes well. The episode does conclude pretty well, and it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's cute. It's got a nice little soundtrack and nice artistic flair that uh, that you can't help but smile at. So now we're entering in the middle-ranked episode. So these episodes now, these next five, uh, I do consider above like 7.3 out of 10. I do consider all of these above that. It's just that some I consider a bit better. So next up... Uh, number five, we have episode four. I slipped up last time. I said episode four was uh, was the fourth worst, but this, now episode four is the, the middle one. So this one is called The Village Bride. This one at the beginning was kind of slow. I liked it. I, I, I really enjoyed the sort of nature, natural aspect that they had going with this planet. Uh, they call the force Majina, which I think is cool because the whole emphasis of this planet is that they're sort of cut off from the rest of modern society they're indigenous they are attuned to nature they're attuned to sort of the more spiritual aspect of the uh the powers in the world i love that it makes sense they would have their own name for the force because the force is kind of just used by the jedi used by the sith and those people typically interacted, at least in the uh, the mainline series, in the big cities, the big areas with populated planets. And this area doesn't really have much. They explain in the episode that this area is sort of, this planet is outside of uh, empirical reach. So it makes sense they have their own names for things. And their attunement to the world around them. There's a scene where Asu and Haru, uh, two of the sort of village main characters are walking and they attune to the Majina of this like rock that's near a waterfall and you see sort of memories of the land people running around kids playing in the river kids doing this this and that and it feels very natural as if this was a normal thing that would happen in the mainline series of Star Wars there are sort of two sets of protagonists there's asu and haru who are uh, the village they're, they're they're two basically a couple uh haru is the village bride i mean she's the name of the episode so that's very important and asu is her husband or husband to be and then we have f and valko F is this woman who wears a mask. Presumably she has some force connection. And Valko, kind of same thing, is her sort of uh, master. And he has this sort of knight's helmet on. It looks like the traditional uh, Crusades helmets that you, that you see in the memes. And he's sort of explaining to her this village and their connection to the Majina and nature sort of discussing things with her and it's built up that she has some trauma from the past and why she's wearing a mask uh he's there to help her sort of get through that and the episode flashes into them sort of visiting the village finding out that during a festival uh that haru is i'm like almost forgetting these names uh but haru is the daughter of sort of the village chief and she is set to be sacrificed to save the village sort of thing. And she has to be sacrificed to like this bandit 
empire group that exists on the planet because they're going to kill the village elder, but the daughter decided to step up and take his place and say, kill me instead, I'll, I'll be the sacrifice, leave my village alone, and the guys are like, all right, cool, so we're going to come and kill you in a couple days. Uh, and, yeah, Haru's sister, Saku, she stands up to the people when they come, but they they get captured and they're about to get killed. But then F and Valko sort of step in. Valko, he does this sick thing where he's like sniping them, he's shooting them, and then he throws his helmet. And it sort of is a guided missile and it goes into their ship that the Empirical dudes came on and it just blows up. I don't know what that thing is made out of, but it's beautiful. And then the episode progresses kind of rapidly. It's it's like a snowball. This episode's similar to the snowball effect where it starts off kind of slow, kind of small, and then it starts rolling down the hill and it picks up, 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 up into this big mountain snowball at the very end. And it, culmin it culminates into the final fight between F and the sort of... Uh, the village... Not the village. The bandit empire leader dude... And she basically does the, the like the quick flash sort of thing where she has her lightsaber and she ignites it. It's yellow. Looks beautiful. Uh, she takes off her mask. We see a scar. We get a little bit more of her backstory past sort of thing. And she grabs it. The Empire dude has Haru in his hands and he's going to kill her. And she grabs her lightsaber and she just does a dash forward, a force dash forward, like speed of light and just mercs the dude. And you know, they save the village. Everyone's all happy. So this episode I think is very good because it holds a lot of the beautiful low-key Star Wars charm of being connected to nature and sort of the beauty of the world and its connection to the Force. Not just being used for powers, but being used as a natural element. Kind of more of the spiritual aspect, which I love. There needs to be more of that in Star Wars and this episode captures it beautifully. And then, of course, we get the nice little flash of, hey, lightsaber and a new color lightsaber that we don't see all that much, which flows well. And adds, adds a lot of new stuff to the universe and also develops on some things that previously exist and does sort of a show-not-tell sort of thing with the characters I like. Which is why this episode, I believe, is, is a bit higher rated than some would leave it out to be. A lot of people rank this episode pretty low, saying that it was too slow, which I kind of get. But one of the reasons I liked it was because of its uh, its aspects for nature. And I think it did that very well with the pacing. Um, and it picked up at the end to, to please those who were like, yeah, force fight, Star Wars lightsaber, which I loved. So next up, we have episode seven, which is The Elder. This one follows the story of a master and a Padawan, a Jedi master and Padawan, and they're traveling through space, and the master kind of gets this, this sensation where he's like, there's something evil that I'm feeling. They stop at a nearby planet. Sure enough, there's this Sith guy that they just call the Elder because he's, he's, he's a literal fossil. This dude is ancient. Uh, and he is a Sith Lord, or at least ex-Sith Lord. He fights with a sort of dual katana lightsaber, except it's not connected it's just two individual sabers. This episode feels a lot like Duel of Fates from episode one, where it's, you know, the master with the green lightsaber, the Padawan with the blue lightsaber, and the enemy Sith person that's very scary that has two blades. It's, it's again, sort of a reference, a nod, an interpretation of that in, in a different context. So, of course, 
Episode 1, Duel of Fates, is one of my favorite Star Wars sequences in just the world. So, of course, I like this one. The story was interesting. Uh, the characters were good. And I think the episode played out well. The fight was great. It felt more like a stoic battle as opposed to like a crazy choreographed CGI fight or anything. It felt more stoic. Like the master, he didn't want to do a bunch of crazy moves because he didn't need a bunch of crazy moves. He was clearly superior to his opponent. Which felt very attuned to uh, to to Star Wars, especially with um, original Star Wars, where like the, the the fight between Vader and Obi Wan wasn't that crazy because one, it was 1977; two, the actors were old and they didn't really have the technology for crazy stuff. But it felt very attuned to that, and I liked it. I liked it. It it sort of it sort of presented new with the old, if that makes sense. Having a combination of a lot of things. The setting was kind of interesting. The, the planet was very boring. It was just this this sort of desolate, dark planet with grass and hills and a, a village. It wasn't very interesting. The setting was okay. It fit the mood, certainly, for the, for the episode. It's kind of dark. They're encountering a Sith Lord. This is the Padawan's most likely first experience with the Sith Lord. And the dialogue, I think, is what really makes this episode. The dialogue is phenomenal. The, the sort of joking banter between the the padawan and the master beautifully done makes them very lovable the elder again voice acted was he was voice acted beautifully um i think it's the voice actor that does uh pose dad from uh from kung fu panda i could be mistaken but it's it's done well his voice acting he feels very menacing yet sort of the old crotchety old man sort of feel but the one that would kill you <laughs> if that makes sense very good job done by the by the actors present in the episode and there's only i think three characters that actually talk throughout the episode it's the elder the master and the padawan maybe some of the village people do but they're not really all that important to be honest they're just kind of there for for set they're not there for characterization. They do have a cute interaction with the Padawan where they, uh, the Padawan winks. They all wink. He smiles. They all smile. Cute thing shows how much they love the Jedi. And especially even more now that they've saved the, the town from the elder who kills like moose or whatever the heck that thing was on the planet. And I don't know. I don't rate that. I don't rate this episode higher just because I feel that it doesn't do as much good as the other episodes, the top three episodes that happened in this. It, it had a, a sort of a typical anime art style. The animation for the lightsabers and the combat was really good. I, I liked the sound effects, everything, but I think the top three episodes did that stuff better. But I did like the episode of The Elder because it also feels like an episode where you can do more with it. But you don't necessarily need a, a canon story. Like, it doesn't need to go, you know, from one event to the other saying, hey, remember that elder dude that we fought? It feels that they could do, if they're going to do another season of Visions, what they could do is they could have, oh, a second episode of uh, the Master and the Padawan where they go and they just do one other thing. They go fight a Sith that's there, and that's kind of cool. They could do, they could play something with that. It's an interesting take on possible continuity. So now we're getting into the top three. These are the top three episodes, in my opinion, from this season. And putting a number on them, I don't really know where I'd put them, but I don't think that they would rate any, any lower than an 8.3, in my opinion, for, for these episodes, these top three. Uh, not necessarily because... Uh, 
objectively crazy nutso butso, but more like they were very enjoyable and they did something that I wanted to see from the series. So coming in at number three, we have episode three, The Twins. This one I've seen placed very, very sporadically throughout tier lists, if you will, for people ranking this season. Uh, some people put it as the best episode, and some people put it as one of the worst episodes, which I don't I, I don't believe that at all. Because when this first got announced, one of my things was I wanted to see crazy anime, just straight up all the anime an, uh, animation crazy things that exist. I want to see that in Star Wars. And that's exactly what episode 3 does. The story is not interesting, really. It's it's sort of a take on that dichotomy of the Force or the dyad or of the Force sort of thing. Where um, it's sort of like a retelling of the Luke and Leia dynamic. Where it's a brother and a sister born of the Force and yada yada. I mean, if you look for more evidence that the brother is supposed to be Luke... I mean, he has a droid named R-Duo, and he flies an X-Wing. So, I don't really know what more evidence that you need. And he has a sister that also is strong with the Force. Uh, so, I, I don't really know what other what other proof you need. But anyway, the story is just like, uh, they're twins, brother and sister, born from the dark side. The brother kind of starts to turn good. They fly this sick dual Star Destroyer thing with this huge cannon in the middle. And they're going to destroy the New Republic. And they basically need... Or it's the Old Republic. It's one of them. Uh, they basically need these two crystals to be powered up by each sibling in order to initiate the cannon. The brother's signal goes missing. And they're like, oh god, what's going on? They confront him. And they find that he's taking away the crystal because he doesn't want to do this. Tries to convince the sister and she pulls out her lightsabers and they engage in a fight. And that's basically what the story is. This crystal is, I believe it's a kyber crystal. It's just like a really strong crystal that's able to just power up the ships and give crazy power-ups. And the sister uses it to her advantage where they're fighting over the crystal. It breaks one of the she grabs one of the parts of the crystal and puts it in like her chest compartment sort of thing and it just powers her up like crazy she's able to wield i don't even know i think it's like six lightsabers or six different laser things uh she's just overflowing with power and the brother i guess i should say the sister's name is am and the brother's name is kare so kare puts his crystal that he gets into his lightsaber and it becomes this massive lightsaber. It's really powerful while she's overflowing with energy and they're fighting on top of the star destroyer in space. It's incredibly anime. This is the most anime that star Wars visions gets without a doubt. So, so they're fighting and you know, she's kicking the crap out of him because she's way stronger than him, at least at that present point. And he's trying to figure out what he wants to do as they're fighting in space. And the animation is going crazy. They're 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 hitting stuff left and right. They're um they're they're breaking all these blocks off the star destroyer. She's she's attacking him, charging him. And one of the coolest sequences is uh, when they get when she gets the crystal because he gets in his X-wing and tries to fly away, and she uses the force to straight up pull the crystal and its case through the X-Wing. It's nuts. It looks so good. Um, 
But the big, the big animation sort of climax part is when he puts the crystal into his lightsaber. Because his whole thing is, oh, if I can destroy the sort of compartment in her chest and destroy that crystal, she'll go back to normal and she'll survive. Because if she goes through this, she'll die and I don't want my sister to die. So he powers up his lightsaber. It's absolutely enormous. Oh my gosh, this thing is the size of a Star Destroyer. Uh, he powers up his lightsaber, overflowing with power. He stands on top of his X-Wing. It flips upside down. He's still standing on it, and he tells our duo to punch it because he's going to fly straight towards his sister so he can bust the chest compartment with his lightsaber, cutting the Star Destroyer at the same time. And he does just that. It's very reminiscent of the Holdo sort of light speed scene from Last Jedi, because he does just that. He goes to light speed with the lightsaber and he just cuts straight through the Star Destroyer. And we see that same sort of effect that we saw in episode 8. And the sister survives. She's alive. She gets taken in. But the brother makes a swift escape. <clears throat> it's, again, the story isn't all that good. Uh, if I was ranking it on just story, I'd have it very low. But... It's exactly what I wanted to see when Star Wars Visions was announced. It's anime gone crazy. They said, ah, ha, ha, we want an anime to go nuts with the animation. Hey, Studio Trigger, what are you doing? And that's what they did. And they did it very, very well. I don't think there would be more I'd want to see from this sort of storyline. But I would like to see another episode if they do another series where the animation just goes crazy. Just the entire episode is meant to just fight, 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 lightsaber, force, all this crazy stuff. And I, I figured this episode was going to have the best animation. When I figured out it was Trigger and I saw the animation style, I said, yeah, this one's going to be kind of nuts. So that's it for episode three. Very good. Good animation. So the next one on the list, number two, is Episode 1, The Duel. This one is mostly in at least the top three on everyone's ranking. Uh, and it's the first episode, so it gives you a good taste of some of the uniqueness this show has to put forth. The whole art style in this episode is this black and white sort of Kurosawa-esque film filter... And it feels like an old-time samurai film. Uh, and it follows the story of this character named Ronin, which is funny because Ronin is like a rank. I don't know if it's a rank of samurai, but it's it's a rank in, in sort of traditional Japanese um, sort of lore, if you will. Um, so his name's Ronin. And we see he's carrying a katana by his side. And he's just sort of roaming this planet, I believe it's called Genbara, with his droid R5. And he, he's basically there. This village gets attacked by these uh, by these bandits. Some of them are wearing stormtrooper armor, which is an interesting touch. And there's this Sith woman that's with them. They, she doesn't have a name, I don't think. She's just the bandit leader. And she's the one in the trailer that has sort of the umbrella lightsaber that can turn into a saw. They later show that it's not really like seven different blades. It's one blade, but there's an attachment that she can put over the lightsaber that basically emits the light into the different directions that she can spin. It's primarily for deflecting blaster shots. It's basically used as a shield. 
Uh, she doesn't use it to fight um, lightsaber wielders. So practically in this episode, it, it, it deals with Ronin in this town. He, he's getting his droid fixed, and then he's like, oh god, these guys are here. And he confronts the, the Sith woman. She tries to strike him, and he holds his hands over his head and uses the Force to hold her lightsaber in place. He's like, ah, it's been a while since I've killed a Jedi, so I'm gonna kill you. To which he pulls out his lightsaber and reveals that he is in fact a Sith. He is no Jedi. He's got a red katana lightsaber. And she's like, yo, wait, what? <laughs> Effectively, the episode progresses. They fight. Um, their fight is similar to that of Anakin versus Obi-Wan in episode three, where they were on Mustafar sort of standing on the, 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 the cooling droids in the lava fighting on the lava river. And this one, they're standing on a tree, uh, sort of a broken down tree log in a river and they're they're fighting on there very similar to that and there's of course a waterfall like how there's a lava waterfall or lava fall i guess you could call it uh and it, it that's sort of what it feels like it references eventually the uh, ronin outplays the sith woman he he hides behind the waterfall after he jumps down and he puts his lightsaber in this statue because there's a temple right there and she sees the lightsaber through the waterfall. She hastily dashes through, cuts the statue. He appears behind her, grabs the lightsaber and kills her. And then he takes her lightsaber and removes the kyber crystal from it and he opens up his jacket and there's like a collection of lightsaber crystals. It's red lightsaber crystals, so... It's assumed that he is sort of an ex-Sith and current Sith hunter, which is an interest, which is a dyna dynamic and storytelling thing that we've never seen before, at least not to my knowledge, where it's a Sith breaking away from the Sith path and defeating other Sith. We don't know why he's doing it. He's got this sort of calm and cold aura about him when he goes and takes out the Sith. And he doesn't get overly emotional. He's always rational. He's always calm. He's a mysterious character that you don't always know what he's thinking. And he's interesting. He's so cool to watch. And I would love more stuff about him. When he returns to the village, he gives the uh, sort of umbrella attachment to the person, the, the guy who worked on his droid. And then he gives the red kyber crystal to the, uh, the village chief's son saying, hey, keep this, it wards off evil. Because the son thought that he was a Jedi, and he's like, oh, shoot, hey, look at my saber, it's red, I'm not a Jedi. <laughs> but he hands him the kyber crystal and says, hey, this thing will ward off evil, so keep it. And then he goes on his merry way. So, it has such a nice touch to it. The animation, the art style, the story, the characterization was done in such a way that makes me wanting so much more. Not in a way that I would want necessarily a conclusion to a story, because he feels that he's just sort of a guy that goes and does his own thing. If they were to do more about this, I would certainly love to see a backstory about when exactly he became a Sith, why he broke off the path, uh, has he killed Jedi? Does he hunt Jedi? What's his whole MO? We do not know. But I would love to. Though the episode ends satisfactory. It ends exactly how it presented. It's like, hey, who's this guy? He's calm and cold, but he looks strong. And then if the episode ends, he walks away. He's like, who's this guy? He's calm and cold, and he's strong. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful dynamic they did.
So, last but certainly not least, we have the number one episode. My favorite episode from all of Star Wars Visions. Process of Elimination is going to get you here because it's episode five, The Ninth Jedi. I could genuinely go on about this episode for 30 minutes, but I'm not going to. This episode, I think, is the best of everything that I wanted to see within Star Wars Visions. It has great animation, great characters, nice little sort of nods, and cool little, I don't want to say Easter eggs, but um, sort of artistic touches that can go unnoticed but are hinted at and shown enough to, to say, oh, hey, yeah, you were supposed to notice this, but we're not going to make it the biggest plot point. So this episode is great. It calls these uh, these seven quote-unquote Jedi to this temple that's out in this belt in space uh, around a planet, and they're called there because this guy called the Margrave wants to reestablish the Jedi order. So there are these seven characters there. We follow Ethan primarily who's there. He's just sort of this, this, this wholehearted guy who's super sweet, super soft. And he's like, Hey guys, I'm Ethan. I want to be a Jedi. And then we cut to the planet below where we're introduced to Kara, who is arguably the main character. Um, and her father is the lightsaber smith i guess who builds the lightsabers for the margrave uh for for this sort of meeting he gets confronted by these sort of jedi hunters i guess you could call it these force user hunters and he gives the lightsabers to kara and she's meant to transport them to the margrave she gets there she goes to the margrave and she has a lightsaber herself that was built for her and the lightsabers are explained to resemble the user's connection to the force meaning that there's not necessarily a green kyber crystal that makes this the saber green there is a kyber crystal in there that will emit the color and the power of the user so i.e if a jedi ignites the saber and it's blue if a sith ignited the saber it would be red and it's the exact same saber so kara's is this opaque green color and they explain it because she doesn't have a strong connection to the Force yet. She has a connection, but it's not that strong, which is why it's very transparent. She goes up to the place. They give all the people the sabers. Six of them ignite them. Everyone but Ethan ignites them, and they are all red. They are all Sith. They're like, oh, shoot. The Margrave pops out of this robot, and he just starts fighting. His lightsaber's green. It's got this cool little handguard. He's fighting all the Sith. Ethan's is blue. And during the fight, Kara's turns from the opaque green into a solid, a vibrant green. Love that touch. And then one of the other Sith who they're fighting, I think his guy's name is like Moreno, who, by the way, I'm pretty sure is voiced by Patrick Seitz, which is beautiful if, if, you're, a, if, if you're an anime fan. Moreno is awesome because he's red, but as he's fighting Ethan, it turns to purple, which, as we know, Mace Windu had a purple lightsaber and he was a Jedi. So it shows that he has some dark side tendencies, but he's overall good, and he has the good in him. And Mar the Margrave even uh, references that. He says, stop it, Moreno. This isn't you. You're not doing this. And he basically said, yeah, sorry, I fell a victim to peer pressure, effectively. Uh, and then the episode ends with 
all four of them, we have Kara, the Margrave, Ethan, and Moreno, and technically Kara's robot, four nines, and they're all standing outside the castle saying, like, hey, let's go restore the Jedi Order and go find your father who was captured by those, like, Jedi Hunter. And the episode ends. Their group dynamic alone makes me want so much more for this series or for this uh, sort of story in the galaxy. Because we have Moreno, who clearly hunted a Jedi to get this sort of beacon to go to the Jedi Temple. And he's clearly not all that good, but he's clearly not all that bad. And I want to see more of him. Then we have Ethan, who's just kind of the shy, but he's got the blue, so he's got a really strong connection to the Force, and he's a great guy, and I want to see his progression to becoming a Jedi, because he's always wanted to be a Jedi. Then we have Kara, who's out to hunt, her fa- to hunt out the people who took her father. Then we have the Margrave, who's known Kara forever, and he wants to establish, reestablish the Jedi Order. It's such a nice group dynamic that makes me wanting so much more from it. Just g- give them give them a movie or give them a, give them a 12 episode series on their own, please. And it's no surprise this episode did very well because it's done by Production IG, who like I said, Attack on Titan, Haikyuu, two of the most popular anime. And they should be given more to do with this sort of notion cuz whoo. Oh, it's good. It's it's, it's beautiful. The animation is great. The art style is kind of just a typical anime art style. It's nothing super unique like how The Duel was or even uh, T-Zero-B-1. But it had a good art style. One that suffices and could be used for future content relative to this story. Which I would absolutely want. Please. Please, someone get in contact with uh, with Production IG and tell them to do this. <laughs> or get into Disney+. Plus if, if you know anyone that works for Disney, please tell them. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people rank The Ninth Jedi as one of the best. I think The Duel and The Ninth Jedi, in pretty much every single ranking, are within the top four. It's kind of hard to not put them there, because it delivers, in my opinion, on everything that people wanted from Star Wars and from anime Star Wars. There's not much that I can complain. I think the only thing that I can complain about in The Ninth Jedi is there's one little animation bit that kind of looks weird. It's when Kara defeats one of the hunters. She destroys his bike and he can't really do anything. And she gets on her bike. They pan over, but it's sort of like the frame rate in which she's going and the frame rate in which they're panning over is the same. So it looks as if she's just standing or she's just sitting still on her speeder it looks a little weird but that's hardly a complaint that's just one thing that i said oh that was kind of weird the story for it animation direction conclusion characterization i think was perfect i'm interested i love Kara's character i think they could do a lot with her the margrave's great ethan's great moreno's great If they were to do a series, I feel the only character that would be kind of not interesting would be Ethan, just because he seems just sort of like a good boy that wants to be a Jedi. He's so pure-hearted, but they could play with that idea where maybe his lightsaber starts to turn colors, which they could do so much with that, because it's their connection to the Force, so if anyone starts to show some dark side tendencies, then... 
they, then we can see it in the lightsaber as opposed to being told, ha ha, I see the hate is flowing through you. Not, not, not digging on the original trilogy at all. I'm just saying it would be cool to see it being shown rather than told. Because they could play something, hey, Kara's fighting these people, she's really strong, and she's mad because her father died. Similar to what happened to Anakin, he could, she could try to turn to the dark side because she's, uh, she lost her father. And imagine, imagine if they had that same sort of canon of, hey, um, when you use your lightsaber, it can turn colors dependent on your connection to the Force of the time. Think about how much better the Tusken Raider scene would be in episode two if during that, when he's slaughtering them all, his lightsaber slowly turns to red or purple or something. That would add a lot to the, the scene, the tension, and it would make you believe and see a lot more that he's falling to the dark side. And they could play a lot with that with a series like this. Gosh, Star Wars Visions is... Really good. I think on myanimelist.com, because I've practically been living on that site for the past three weeks, I think this one rated it, rated the overall series as a 7.5, somewhere around there. And it's got about 36,000 users, which I think is pretty generous relative to everything else. It's good. It's an enjoyable watch. And each episode is less than 20 minutes. The only episode that's long is The Ninth Jedi, and it's 22 minutes long. Every episode is roughly 15 minutes somewhat in length. So it's a simple, simple watch. As I said, I watched practically all of it in one day. And it's very it's very easy to. Yeah, I think I'm going to rewatch this show at some point because it makes me excited for more Star Wars content that may not be canon, but is fun to watch. I'm not saying I want any of these series to be canon, but it would just be fun to see these series develop into their own stuff. Maybe a movie. Maybe they do break it into canon. Who knows? Love to see more of this. Uh, and, and hopefully they do. Hopefully the fan reception is, is high and met with good praise to where Disney says, hey, people liked it. Let's do it again. But I don't think we'd see another season for a year, in my opinion. Considering how much anime studios are working, I don't know how often they would be able to put put forth an episode. Ah, very good. I don't know where I would rate Star Wars Visions as a whole, you know, like a, on a 1 to 10 sort of scale. I don't know where I'd put it. I'd put it pretty high. I'd put it like maybe an 8.4 or something. Because I think overall as a series, there are some episodes that feel kind of weak. And I think they could have done more. But I... Th it was enjoyable for what I wanted to see in Star Wars Visions. Yeah. So good. So good. Very enjoyable. Go watch it if you haven't already. Or if you've already listened to the entire episode, go watch it again. Because I'm sure there will be something that I will pick up on and that you'll pick up on on your next watch through. Because there's most likely little Easter eggs and references tossed in there that we might not have even caught the first time around. Well, with that being said, that is going to conclude this week's episode of On Air with Aaron. Thank you all for tuning in. I very much enjoyed Star Wars Visions, and I think you will too. 
And I can't wait to see more Star Wars content in the future. I think next week I'm going to do the next set of the terrible anime reviews, which I think is Forest Fairy 5. I can't speak. Forest Fairy 5, which is apparently pretty bad. So we'll see if I can stomach and sit through that. But regardless, thank you for tuning in to this longer episode. And I will catch you all in the next episode.